The Metal Mentality Podcast is brought to you in partnership with AM300 and the Phoenix Project. For more information on both, check out am300.com slash metal. It's time for you to be the you that you know you can be and to find your metal. My name is Preston Yule, and I'm the host of the Metal Mentality Podcast. I'm a husband, a father, and American soldier. What is metal? It's your strength of character that you rely on to endure hardship. It's your grit. Together we'll learn from some dedicated, passionate, metal-minded individuals who define themselves by their grit and their graduation from suffering. Be metal. Stay metal. I want to welcome everyone to the show today. This is Metal Mentality. I'm your host, Preston Yule. Today, I have the honor to speak with someone who uh, actually reached out to me and said, hey, I got a message to share. I think it can add value to this. And I'm all about it. So I appreciate their reaching out to me. But yeah, my guest today is uh, the co-host of the Hyperconscious Podcast. He's a personal development coach, a peak performance coach, a business coach, and a lifestyle design coach. So I'm just going to call you coach from now on. He's, <laughs> he's a former corporate superstar. He's a motivational speaker. Today I'm joined with Alan Lazarus. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. My, my pleasure. So going over your introduction, there's one thing uh, I want to get into because I hadn't really thought about it and I'm curious to know more about it. But before we do that, I want to ask you something really important. Have you ever seen an alien? UFO? No. Are they real? Do you think they're real? What's Do the deal I with think them? They're real? Interesting. Interesting. Uh, that's a hell of a first question. Um, <laughs> as someone who has a podcast, well, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, I, I would say it's probably naive to think that we're the only life form in the universe, but I haven't seen or, you know, dug too deep into any of that. Yeah. I definitely don't think we're alone, but I don't think we had green men coming out there. Right. I don't know what's happening. I don't have any idea, but I don't think it's, I don't know. Right. I just don't know. <laughs> so I'm not going to say what it is because I don't know and what it's not because I don't know. <laughs> but it's not what so, everybody thinks that it is. That's all I know. It, yeah, exactly. It's definitely not what's portrayed in the movies. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not Independence Day. Okay. Exactly. exactly. Men in black, none of that. <laughs> so tell me what a lifestyle design coach is. What does that okay. mean? Because I think there's some connotations around that, that people may have uh, believe and that are false. What okay. exactly is that? So lifestyle design. So I'm a degreed engineer. I went to basically a, a school called Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's kind of like a mini MIT and engineering was really, really hard for me. It's just one of the hardest things I've ever done. Anyone who's a degreed engineer knows that it's like very challenging. But it, a big focus of it was on design. So I, did, I got an degree, a degree in electrical and computer engineering. And little did I know, I was focused on designing systems and circuits um, that would be, have a certain level of utility and function and effectiveness. Later in life, I dug really deep into personal development. And to me, I realized um, I got into a tough car accident and I kind of looked at my life from had it ended. And I realized that I didn't design my life on my own terms. And so once I realized that I became obsessed with something I now refer to as lifestyle design, which is, okay, we all have certain core values. We all have certain goals and dreams. And I think our day-to-day -day life is the integration of those two things. But what's most important is interesting. It's like, okay, every single day, Here's the best analogy I can use. If you and I were going to do a puzzle, imagine you saw the cover of the puzzle in advance and I didn't. We're trying to do the same puzzle and someone's timing us. I'm going to be trying to put puzzle pieces together when I've never seen the vision. You're going to be able to put the border together, then the inner pieces, and eventually you're going to finish the puzzle way quicker than I will, way more effectively than I will. Mm -hmm. Lifestyle design is choosing in advance what your vision is and being the person who's seen the cover because those puzzle pieces are your daily decisions. So if you want a successful, extraordinary life, you have to envision that in your mind first, in my opinion, because yes, it is the journey that matters, 
but the destination that you choose in advance is actually going to dictate your direction. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of flow with the tide. And so one of the most important parts of lifestyle design is make sure, set a goal not to get the goal, but for the fears that will force you to face, for the people it will force you to meet, for the things that will force you to learn, and most importantly, the person it will force you to become. Right. So if I want to be a millionaire, which I do, that means I have to find a way to use my unique gifts and talents to serve one million people or, or more or mm -hmm. less, depending on the price of the mm -hmm. product, obviously, or service. But the point is, is I think people are afraid to dream big. I don't dream big because of getting the actual trophy or the dream. I dream big because of what it will force me to the journey it will force me to embark upon. I remember one time I was 22 years old and I drove from Boston to LA and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. We, we went through so many different States, so many different cities. Uh, we stopped in Columbus, Ohio. We stopped in Den Denver, Colorado. We stopped in Vegas. And it was one of the most epic journeys I've ever had. The thing though, is why would you drive across the country aimlessly if you didn't have a destination that was meaningful to you? So I wanted to chase my dreams. I wanted to be, a talent manager in Hollywood, like a business manager. And I've since completely changed that dream. And that's the other thing you can change. You don't have to lock in on one thing and then keep that forever. Your mm -hmm. dreams and goals will evolve as you do. But I remember having the greatest journey ever. And I remember thinking to myself, like we drove from Boston to LA. It was the journey that mattered, but it was the destination and the meaning of that destination that brought meaning to the journey. Why else would you just drive aimlessly across the country? And so I use that as an analogy now of like a lot of us are just drifting around aimlessly. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come on your show is to, to encourage people to dream, not to get the dream, but for what it will make of your life to achieve it because the, it'll force you to grow and that'll benefit everyone around you. I, I really like that. So getting to, in your, your story, getting to, to Los Angeles, right? You had this goal in mind, but along the way, that trip that you took, you had remarkable experiences that probably form who you are, right? Yes. Or parts of, part of you. There are memories that you, we are the sum of our memories and what we decide how they relate to us, what happened, right? right? How we right. let those and them affect us, I should say. Right. So, so it's the same thing like when someone goes through um, like a traumatic event and they have PTSD. They don't remove the memory from them, that the traumatic memory to treat it. One of the ways that they can treat it is they can trick the brain or rewire the brain or reform the memory of that traumatic incident. So it's just a memory of something that happened and not something that's traumatic. Right. And so it's still a part of you though, right? So the journey to where we're getting is, is what makes us who we are not right. arriving to wherever our goals are. I like that But the destination you choose in advance will dictate the direction of the journey. Absolutely. So, I, that's, so that's great. It's interesting. And, and they're totally connected mm -hmm. because as you change in your journey, your goal will evolve as well. So they're totally connected. But I think a lot of people focus on like, oh, it's only about the journey. The problem is, is the destination you've chosen in advance is going to dictate a lot of that journey. I'm writing this so down. For <laughs> Keep going. Oh, awesome. <laughs> this is <That's> great. Awesome. <laughs> so one of the things that's interesting, and I noticed this, like, let's say you don't have big goals and dreams. One of my main missions is to help people uncover bigger goals and dreams, not to get the goal or dream, but because of the person it will force them to become. So for example, if you do have huge goals and dreams, you're going to need mentors. Mm -hmm. If you don't have big goals and dreams, you don't need mentors. So you might not go get them. And I don't know about you, but some mentors in my life have changed me and my life drastically. And I've been able to help other people because of mm -hmm. that. If I didn't have big goals and dreams, big ambitions, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have went into those tough conversations. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, I think that a lot of us grew up in an environment that did not encourage ambition. Um, mm -hmm. And some people grew up in an environment that encouraged ambition maybe too much. Like that was the whole game. Mm -hmm. And I just want to encourage you if you're out there listening, if you have not touched base with your ambitions, there's two things. Either one, your ambitions are in alignment with your core values and you should make them even bigger because it's going to force you to become more. Or 
maybe your ambitions are big, but maybe they're not in alignment of who you want to become. And I was that second one early on in life. Um, and I eventually, again, after that car accident, had to recheck, oh, wow, who am I becoming here? Because uh, like we talked about in the preamble a little bit, like I was very financially successful from a very young age, but I didn't like who that was making of me. Mm. And now who, I'm doing something. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just say, who, who was that making? Who was that turning you into? So I worked for a company called Cognex and there's nothing, this is nothing against Cognex. Cognex is a wonderful company. It's an industrial automation company out in Natick, Massachusetts. And they're very, very successful. Obviously, automation is a very big deal right now. And here's what was happening. I was, I was an inside sales engineer, started an inside sales team, got promoted, was now outside sales. I managed all of Western New England. So I managed Connecticut, I managed Western Mass, and I managed Vermont. And what I would do is I would go into manufacturing facilities, and I would see these pictures on the wall of the 70s, 80s, and 90s with all these factory workers. And my job was to go in, we sold industrial automation cameras that basically like, let's say the Dunkin' Donuts thing was going down uh, a line. We would inspect, we had software that would inspect every inch for quality assurance to make sure everything was the same length, everything was the same diameter, everything, mm -hmm. it was quality assurance. Yeah. And so there were actually people that would, they would hire to actually inspect product before. Now, the better, I, the more equipment I sell, the less jobs there are. For those mm -hmm. people i literally remember selling a uh, camera system and and i knew that that camera system was going to replace four people that i saw on the line mm. um and so here's this interesting thing that i saw happening so generally speaking the less educated population tends to have kids younger and tends to have more of them this is just statistically so i saw the less educated population growing at an exponentially greater rate and the jobs that less educated people need service jobs decreasing at an exponential rate. So if you go to a Panera now it's kiosks, right? And it's not necessarily people. Um, and that's never going to stop. So automation is coming for us all. It is what it is. Um, the problem was, is the more I did well, the less jobs there were for quote unquote, the little guy. And that is the opposite of my core. I, I was the little guy. I grew up poor with free lunch in high school. And I was given opportunities to soar um, through financial aid and other things. And so now my job used to be the better I did, the less jobs there were for uneducated people. Now my job is to help empower people to create marketable skills so that they can go get jobs. Because honestly, Robotics is in its infancy. I worked for iRobot. I have a, a mentor of mine who's on the board of directors of a pick and place robot company. Like the Domino's facility recently just put pick and place robots, replaced 3,000 jobs overnight. That mm. is never going to stop. Okay. Domino's is the big pizza player. What happens when Papa John's does that? What happens when Papa Gino's does that? Okay. All these service jobs, all of them are gone in the next decade. Okay, we need to re-equip people with the actual creative skills to stay marketable. Um, and that's what my work is now. That's what lifestyle design is. Choosing in advance how you yeah. want to be marketable and making sure you're living congruently with that, with the puzzle pieces. Yeah. So say if someone came to you and they said they, they wanted to hire you as a coach to rebrand themselves, right? I guess, or start achieving their lifestyle design? Where do you start to make that change in someone? Oh, such a great question. First, I need to understand what they care about most. So there's two main facets of lifestyle design. I picture like a pyramid. At the very top of the pyramid, you have a North Star. So I wear this North Star around my neck. I don't know if your listeners can see it, but this represents my mission, my purpose. So I have what I refer to as a purpose prayer. I say it every day, sometimes twice a day. I say it in the shower. And it's, it's, it's my purpose in life, my sacred mission. Okay. And so that's the top of the pyramid at the bottom of the pyramid. You have your core values. For me, I have six of them that I've honed them down. Number one is undying self-belief. Number two is natural health and fitness. Number three is personal development. Number four is desired growth to achieve massive dreams congruent with one's purpose. 
Number five is a giving heart. And then number six is humility in action. And a lot of people don't know what humility in action Yo, means. Where, that, <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I've heard so, it, but I think, I think okay. everyone kind of has a different de de um, definition of that and what it means to them. What does that mean to you? So humility in action to me means I've noted, I, I've seen this a lot. So some people will, will come off as modest, but yet if you look at their actions, they're, they're not as, as humble as you'd think. So for example, I have a friend of mine, I won't name any names, who, pretend, who showcases modesty outwardly, but yet never reads any books. So to me, humility in action is like getting coaches, getting mentors, reading books, like knowing you don't know it all, but showing that with your actions, like asking for help when you're not the expert, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my actions, like if you look at where I spend my money, I spend it on books, I spend it on coaches, I spend it on, you know, taking mentors to dinner and stuff. That's to me, humility in action, which is, I'm not just going to come off as like modest just because I want people to like me. I want to actually show humility in my actions, which is making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people who can help me grow because I know I don't know it all. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so to picture this pyramid, you've got your true north, which is your, your mission. So first thing we do, we got to get clarity. So if someone were to hire me as a peak performance coach or a lifestyle design coach, we have to get clear on what you actually want. So what I would do is I actually did this last night or two nights ago with one of my clients. Her name is Bianca. And we got clear. I literally took her through. I said, in 10 years from now, when do you wake up? Where do you wake up? We got clear, literally line item by line item. I mean, she told me, I'm going to get to work at 9 a.m. I'm going to be in the, out of the gym by 8.30. We got really granular. I said, where are you living? We chose ocean or lake. Like, where do you want your house to be on an ocean or a lake? Because she said she wanted it on the water. I wanted to see pond, ocean, lake. Like, that's mm -hmm. how specific we get. Now, she took me through her ideal day. Now, we reverse engineer her daily actions today, the skills she must develop today to make that a reality. So that seems overwhelming to people um, when it comes to like, okay, I don't know where I want to be in a decade, but if you really dig into it and start to get clear on what you're, I say, if you could ma wave a magic wand and 10 years from now you woke up and it was your ideal life and anything was possible within reason, what, where would you live? Who would you wake up next to? What would they be like? What would your ideal day look like? And then let's, let's reverse engineer that finish line back a decade to make sure that in a decade you don't wake up saying, oh my God, where'd I end up? Mm -hmm. Again, I want to show that vision of that puzzle so that the puzzle pieces, the daily actions, the skills you must yeah. develop, the people you must meet need to be in place. And so that's my coaching in a nutshell. Even with fitness, it's the same deal. What's your ideal physique? Now let's make sure your daily actions are bringing you closer to that. It's living with intentions, what I'm hearing. Right. Exactly. Living, so that every decision you make is intended to achieve something. Exactly. Yes. Or to so, become something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. To become sure, a better exactly. version of yourself. Yeah. They're, yeah exactly. they're pretty much synonymous, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. So <laughs> I really like that, that your mission and your core values. So you need both. And your day-to-day -day life is, is the middle of this pyramid. Mm -hmm. So what you do and don't do is entirely predicated on your core values and your true north. So imagine, okay, so for me, natural health and fitness is one of my core values. If someone asks me to go drinking at the bar, you know how easy it is for me to say no? Because I know my core value. Even if I feel like drinking, it's a no because I want to live, I make my decisions based on my values and my goals, not based on how I feel. Because a lot of us are chasing pleasure in the moment at the expense of something far greater, which is our ultimate potential. How old are you, man? You're too uh, young to, to know all of this stuff. Either you look <laughs> incredibly young for your age or like you're, you're Benjamin Button and you know, Benjamin Button situation going on. Cause you sound, I sound like I'm talking to my grandpa or something. Dude, dude I'm 31. 31. Yeah, you, I'm 35, but you, you can see all this gray hair. I do not have the body you look like you're like 25 maybe at most i appreciate at most i appreciate that i look i look 12 it's okay you look very young as well it's oh, interesting. It, not my hair if i dyed my hair dark and i didn't have gray hair i probably could pass for 25 i think <laughs> you, at least I that's what i tell you, myself you, right? you definitely could you know <laughs> but uh like i still don't grow a full beard man hey this is uh 20 this is 31 years right here in the making
<laughs> it's not <laughs> really. No, I'm <laughs> no, no, I, of course I have. <laughs> like every other week or so. <laughs> yeah, I just you. The fact that you have this clarity and this understanding is um, that's incredible at such a young age. Because I believe that's something that comes with maturity, and you've, you've made the decision uh, to emotionally mature sooner than most. I'll just say I really that. appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I, I, so we talk about living with intention, right? The center of your, your pyramid, right? The center of it, your day-to-day actions. Let's go back to your analogy of driving across the country, right? Right. And you say people are driving aimlessly in life. Yes. So my question is, why do you think we live our lives aimlessly and how do we change that? Oh, such a fire question. All right. So I have a theory. I think that it's really scary to admit what you really want because it's going to force you to fail a lot. So for example, um, when you watch Netflix, you or me, we watch Netflix. There's no feedback of self. So you get to simulate achievement. You get to simulate good feelings. But you don't actually have any reflection on self because the, you're simulating, your subconscious is simulating the characters in the, in the film or the movie or the show. So you get all the feels, but you don't have to like look in the real proverbial mirror mm-hmm. of like, so for example, if someone on the show gets in a fight with their girlfriend and does something horrible, that isn't a reflection on you whereas if you really decided like i want to change the world and again that's drastic for people so let's not start there if you really decided i want to make so one of my goals out of college was to make six figures okay if you really decided i want to make six figures the the amount of discomfort that you're going to have to go and face is so it's honestly very high but Mm -hmm it's going to force you to face fears. It's going to force you to develop yourself. It's going to force you to create skills. Um, and when you look back on your life, so one of the things that I want to make sure I brought up, because this is something I'm so big on. I remember after my car accident, when I was 26 years old, I, I say the saying, we cannot see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which we simply could not within the light. So what does that mean? When you're in deep emotional pain, your central nervous system, your brain, your body, it can't stay in pain forever. So it's going to force you, assuming you don't escape into a vice, it's going to force you to contemplate your life. Mm -hmm. It's going to force you to look in that mirror and contemplate your own actions and inaction. Unfortunately, sometimes we numb that either with alcohol or with drugs or with Netflix or with the next distraction. If anyone wants a real challenge, go sit alone in a dark room for an hour and a half with just you. I use earplugs. I put earplugs in. That will force you to contemplate yourself. Mm-hmm. And the, that is the time, the inflection point where you'll make a new decision. So I found a book by Bronnie Ware. We've actually had it on our show. It was episode like 180. And when I was 26 years old, I found this book. It's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I'm so passionate about this book. Okay, what's it called? So, Say it again because you said it really fast. So I didn't catch it. The what? The Top, the top Five Regrets of the Dying. So okay. there's a woman. Her name is Bronnie Ware. She's from Australia. And she worked in hospice for eight years. And her job was to take care of the terminally ill. And in that eight-year period, she realized very quickly that, quickly that her real job was to listen And they were saying, I wish, I wish, Mm -hmm. I wish, because they were contemplating in emotional pain their own life. And she wrote this book based on the common patterns that everyone was having the same regrets. Number one is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Number two is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three is I wish I stayed in touch with my friends. Number four, I wish I had the courage to express my true feelings. And then number five is I wish I had let myself be happier. Now, when you want to talk about lifestyle design, to me, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of another book. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. You got to start with the end in mind. 
So the end for all of us is death. And that's what I had to face after my car accident is what if that was it? Because what you don't know yet, um, my father passed away in a car accident when I was two years old and he was 28 years old. So when I was 26 and I got in this car accident, it really messed with me because the car was completely totaled. Like I was very fortunate to be alive. Uh, me and my little cousin, fortunately, I was in a Volkswagen Passat that was like a tank. I used to call it the tank and it, uh, both airbags deployed and we were okay. But I really did think that was it when I saw those lights. And so I, after that, I just sat in the pain and contemplated like, what was my life like? like these were the questions that I asked really. Did I have the courage to fight for what I believe in? And did I love fiercely? Did I love openly, honestly, and fiercely? And I think those are the two questions we're all gonna ask ourselves at its very core when we are at the end. How courageously did I fight for what I believe in and how fiercely did I love? Because the hardest things in the world, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, courage. It takes so much courage to say, I have a dream. Yeah. Because then when you tell people about your dream and you tell yourself and you admit that's what you want, now you have to get after it. You know, I often say this to my clients. If you had a friend who broke as many promises to you as you've broken to yourself, how much would you value that friendship? Uh, and I'm like, people come to me because they think they want six-pack abs. What they really want is self-esteem. And the only way you get self-esteem is by consistently challenging yourself to become more for something greater than yourself. And, and that's what lifestyle design is. Design a life around your own unique gifts and talents to serve others that will force you to grow and contribute beyond yourself. And if you do that, you will no longer chase, chase uh, shiny objects anymore, which by the way, the world is soliciting you with all the time with shiny objects. Mm -hmm. um, and so, instead of drifting around, you got to design life on your own terms. And I think that that's really my main message is like really dig deep in that emotional pain and figure out why you're here and decide. The, the key is to decide for yourself. Like why do, why am I here? Like what can I do in the world that, that they need? And that's, that's everything. It's really powerful, man. I, I, I wrote down your question. Do I have the courage to fight for what I believe in? And I think, I just thought every one of us will say no at some point in our life. Oh yeah. And, and um, not all of us can say I fought for what I believed in. Right. Did I fight as hard as I could as strong? Did I commit to fighting that fighting right. for it? Right. So sometimes we don't even know what we really believe in, I think. And then that's what, that's when you're, you're really in that, that dark place internally inside yourself when you're alone, you don't know, what you believe in. What advice would you have for someone who, who's sitting in that position, contemplating what their life is worth and why they're here and they have no idea, but they know that they don't want to stay in this position? Oh, such a good question. I'm really enjoying this. So when we're in deep emotional pain, we're in the dark and we feel alone and we're definitely in pain and, and we've all been with that dark night of the soul of just like, Oh, this is brutal. Like it's easy to talk about, but when you're there, it feels so bad. It's so bad. Um, and all we want is like to be loved or to, to distract ourselves or something. If you can sit in the pain long enough, you'll have a new distinction that you never had before. I'll, I'll give you an example. So I told you briefly in the preamble that I had a, a little bit of a drinking problem after college and, and in sales in corporate America that was, it was a little bit of encouraged. Uh, Cognex is work hard, play hard. Again, it's nothing against Cognex, but I used to say work hard, play harder, right? Mm -hmm. And in sales, you're Hold really on, one, one second, real yeah. quick. Mm -hmm. I, want to, I want us to define what that is and call it what it is and call it what it's not. Okay. So we talked a little bit about this before we uh, began the show. Yep. Um, that it's addiction, right? Right. And what was, I really like the definition that you gave for why you felt there was an addiction for you. Can you share that? Yes. So I'm very fortunate now to have overcome this. Um, 
to a very great extent. I am now the master, not the slave. Um, I remember if you ever want a sign of whether or not something has power over you. Um, so there's a book uh, called The Habit, uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. It talks about your trigger, your behavior, and re your reward. Okay. So for me, I remember when I, if, if I was ever watching like a show and there was alcohol in the background, I would see it and then I would think to myself, like, I wonder what that is. Is that scotch or is that vodka or is that a beer? Like, and I noticed my friends don't do that. They didn't care about that. And so I knew that that had something that had control over me. And these roots go really deep without us knowing it. It's like the frog in the pot of boiling water. You know, it's like mm -hmm. if you throw them in the pot of boiling water, he'll jump right out. But if you put him in the pot of boiling water and slowly bring it to a boil, he'll cook to death. That's what our habits are. And like, I didn't realize this was happening, but basically I was no longer the master. I was the slave. Why? Because it had power over me it was very difficult for me not to drink i'll say that it was very i would literally tell myself okay i'm going to a wedding and i'm not going to drink tonight because fitness is important to me alcohol is very bad for fitness which by the way that's another thing lifestyle design choose a goal that you value more than your vice mm. so when fitness became my top value alcohol had to go so that's a little hack by the way of the human condition but I would try for so long to go to weddings and not drink. And I would always let myself down. I'd be like, okay, it's open bar. I'll just do one. And one would turn to two, two would turn to four. And again, I had fun. That's the problem. Everyone had fun with me. But then the next day when I wanted to be in the gym at 6 a.m., instead I was hung over. And then it kind of ruined my productivity for the week. And so to me, if you do want to overcome your vices, make something in your future that you want so bad that you care more about that forces you to stay accountable today. So for example, if you have a marathon in three months and you're drinking, you're not going to win. You're not going to maybe finish the marathon. And if the, if finishing the marathon is important to you, now it forces you not to drink today. And so that's lifestyle design as well. It's like make goals that you care about so deeply that they force you to become a better person today. I like that. So I, I really resonate with what you're saying a lot because um, I, I'm, I myself am a recovering addict mm -hmm. and I spent 17 years as an, uh, with an addiction to pornography and it controlled me. And there were times in my life where it felt like uh, I had just ran as fast as I could, as far as I could. And at the end of the board, and I stopped running this finish line, imaginary finish line. All I wanted was a drink of water and there was no water. That's, that was how the, that was the control that it had over me. I wanted a drink of water. Like the powerless feeling. Mm -hmm. And right. not being it's able like, to get water and, and really to drink anything that wouldn't kill me. That was water. Right. Like, I don't know if you've ever been that thirsty before. But there was <laughs> I'll share a little story from my childhood when I was a kid. One time, my cousins and I, we went on a bike ride and we found this trail. We didn't know where it went. And it ended up going into this park that had a pond in it. And it was a hot summer day here. And we, I drank all my water. And we got to this pond. Um, and it wasn't dirty, you know, but it was a pond. And there were fish in it. And I was so thirsty, I thought I was going to die. And so I jumped in that pond and I drank the pond water. Thankfully, I didn't get sick. I don't know how I didn't get sick, but I didn't. And I filled my water bottle up because I thought I was going to die. I was so dehydrated. I had that headache going on. And I was probably like maybe 12 years old or something like that. Right? Right. But I was willing to And that's to how that. addiction can feel. Yeah. You can feel that that's way. A that's a really what fire it, analogy. Wow. That's what it felt like for me. It wasn't – there's a lot more things that addiction is not – than it actually is. And I think as we don't like to talk about addiction because it's so taboo, right. we want to pretend that everybody's healthy and they don't have that problem. And when we see someone who's a raging alcoholic, we'll say that, right? I, I say that word because raging, because that paints a picture where someone has right. no control over themselves, that all they do is drink, that all they want, 
the black tar heroin addict, right? Who right. it's it's the extreme so, version of addiction. We think we right. think addiction is only in extremes, right? Right. No. Right. No. It's it, there was a line way before that. There, mm-hmm. And where do you draw that line of suddenly you you have a problem? Like it's so arbitrary. It's like okay, is is two beers a night? Is that an out? It's like where's the line? So the right. question becomes: Are you the master or the slave? And only you can answer that for you. And the thing is, is like you got to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. I was asked that on stage not long ago. Like if you could give yourself one piece of advice before your car accident, like before when you weren't living hyperconscious, just so everyone knows hyperconscious means acutely aware. So you talk about intentional living awareness, like living mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. So before my car accident, when I wasn't living quite as hyperconscious, as aware, as intentionally, like what would I do differently? I would have been more honest with myself because no one around me said, Alan, you have a drinking problem. No one. As a matter of fact, they said the opposite. When I tried to say, I think this has a, this is a problem. They're like, no, you're not, you're not, like you said, you're not on the floor every night Mm -hmm. drunk. Like, but I knew my standards are higher. Mm -hmm. I, I I knew. And so if you're out there right now and you're, you have, we all have vices, we all have kryptonite in our life. Um, Most people's kryptonite, I think it's distractions, right? Just Mm -hmm. with all the ADHD, especially today. But um, whatever that kryptonite is for you, when you overcome that, I'm telling you the confidence on the other end is going to be fire. Um, and I think that that's the, the good fight that I talk about. Did I courageously fight for what I believe in? So how did you get over your addiction? That's hard to summarize. I hit rock bottom. And uh, at rock bottom, I had a lot of pain. And as I talk about it now, I, I still remember the pain that I felt. And um, my wife said, if we're going to make this work, you're going to this program. Um, And I met with a counselor um, individually once a week for two years. Um, I was in a group meeting too with the same counselor once a week. And my wife and I went to counseling once a week. So three times a week I was going going to counseling for two years. And I learned that if I want to be in control of my life and I want to live with intention and be happy. And when I die, say I lived a good life. I had to hold myself accountable for every decision I made, every thought that I said to myself, every lie that I said, everything that I thought said or did, I had to be accountable for. Right. And that is painful living a life where I refused to do that for 17 years. Right. Developed a lot of insecurities and there's things I'm still fighting now. I'm still working on on mastering. Of course. The being able to hold myself accountable and accept whatever the response would be from another person or the natural consequence in myself for having that level of accountability. And I think that took consistency over time to do that. It required me to wait with courage, to have fortitude. And to get through that process, I had to dig deep and find my grit and redefine what my grit was and find new things inside of me, new strength inside of me I didn't know that I had. And it took a long time. And I have six years, six and a half years of, of work in recovery now actively. And when there was a point where I felt so despaired, I just, I, I did not think my suffering was ever going to end. And I um, was complaining about it talking about it. I don't remember talking about it in, in one of my, the group, I was the group uh, treatment. And someone stopped me and they said, Preston, one day this is going to be a strength of yours. Mm. Your story will be a play in someone else's playbook to help them find sobriety, recover, and grow into who they want to be. And I laughed. I was like, (laughs) you don't know how bad it is, is what I said. And they said, you don't know how good it can be. And here I am now. Um, if you ever would have 
told me during this time that I would start a podcast and I would open up and share this story with the world. I, I would never in my wildest dreams believe that. I would have thought that I would have won the lottery before. Like anything else was more possible than, than that happening. That's what this show is. It's, it's what you're talking about. It's designing your life that you want to find your metal. The way you do that is with consistency or living intentionally, right? Consistently living that way, waiting with courage, having fortitude and finding your grit and relying on your grit until you have these habits developed. So I really love your message and what you're saying, what you're sharing, because it's right in line with what the message of this show is. So thank you for sharing that. You are so very welcome. Thank you for sharing that with me, man. That was that was powerful. I do want to highlight one thing that I think your listeners might have taken away, but I like to I like to really mm-hmm. showcase. So uh, Kevin and I are fortunate enough to have interviewed over 100 people on the podcast. And when you start to really interview world-class performers, you start to notice patterns. And one thing that jumped off the page during that really powerful story was that you found something that you care enough about to actually change. And that's your wife. And when she came to you and said, you need to get help, you loved her enough to really dig into the deepest parts of you. And I think that that's, that's the most powerful thing in the world. We all say like, do it for you, do it for you. Honestly, I don't know. You can do it, do for, it your, for the people. Do it for yeah, a minute. Yeah. Right. For a while. But, but, why power? So like I try to explain this on stages and and on podcasts and I don't do a great job of it, but imagine I took two two foot cinder blocks and put a plank across it. And I said, anyone here listening, I'll give you 20 bucks if you walk across this. And they would say, okay, awesome. Free 20 bucks. If I took that same plank and put it on 200 story buildings, all of a sudden that 20 bucks doesn't seem worth it, does it? But if I told you on the other building is your kid and the building was on fire, you'd walk across it in a heartbeat. See, people think I got to do this for me. I got to go to the gym for me. Honestly, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. BS. BS. Do it for the people you love because at the end of the day, in your darkest moment, you're not going to be thinking you're going to be thinking about two things. How courageously did I fight for what I believe in for the people I love Mm -hmm. for the people I love. And so you're rubbing off on people every single day. And I lost my father when I was two years old. So my whole life I've known this because I literally hear stories about John, my dad all the time. No one talks about how he died. They talk about how he lived. Mm -hmm. And so when I almost died in that car crash, I said, never again. Never again am I going to do a single thing that's outside of alignment with my greatest purpose. I'm going to help people. I'm going to maximize my potential and I'm going to be a model. That was always a dream of mine. I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to be a podcaster. I'm going to be a coach. Like I went all in after that and I haven't looked back and I'm telling you the rewards are greater than you can possibly imagine. But the key was doing it for the people I love. And I still do that. I still think of my girlfriend when I'm at the end of a tough set in the gym. I think about how much I care about her and how much I want to help her and be there for her. The thing is, it's like, if we're not maximizing our potential, we have less to give others. Like when you and I were in that really unresourceful state when we were struggling with addiction, we didn't have much to give to others. We were just trying to survive. So don't do it for you. Do it for the people you care about Mm -hmm. because that's the why power that's really going to push you through the tough stuff, I think. So when you're, when you're doing it for someone else, um, if you're only doing it for that, because you just, you want them to stay, that's a, that that would be a codependent relationship. Right. Right. But but you're right. When my wife said, you're going to go do this. I was like, I do not want to do that. And it wasn't just my wife. It was my daughter. Mm -hmm. The time my daughter was two, I think she was two years old. And I wasn't the dad that I wanted her to have. Right. It was love, man. And I knew I had to get better. I had to be better. For her. Because she needed me. 
her future depended on the relationship that she had with me. And if I gave up on myself and I gave up on my family and I gave up on my marriage, I was quitting on her. Right. And I wouldn't accept that. Right. And so I went into this program. And now you're helping other people because of that. And so because, yeah, you're right. And because of that, because I made that commitment to be there for my daughter, it forced me to grow and become better. Right. So when you say do it for someone else, yes, but not in the way that, your right. happiness depends on them validating you what you're doing for them. Exactly. But because yeah, when you do it for, for someone else, that. because when you yeah. do it for someone else, um, and then with this context that we're talking about, it takes, it takes you outside of yourself and you'll do things you won't do for yourself. Right? right. I wouldn't run into a burning building like we're talking about right. to save, you know, I don't know, something mindless. Right. But, but, Some, but I would run into every fire every time Save for my kids exactly. and my wife and the people that I love and care about. Right. So if you're exactly. doing it as you're going to run into that fire for them, right. Then it forces it. It makes you grow in a way that you, you wouldn't otherwise. Exactly. So. And that's yeah. what we found, man. That's what we found. That's where rock, why rock bottom is, you know, Phoenix from the ashes, right? Post mm -hmm. We talk about PTSD and that's a very real thing. After my car accident, I, I had claustrophobia. I ceiling fans bothered me. Um, double yellow lines bothered me for a while. Can we get answers for me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. My little daughter just started talking. One You're second. She, everyone's <laughs> my, my, my wife's upstairs. My son's leaving my other daughter's at school. And she's like, dad, can you give me some gushers? <laughs> <laughs> I told her, like, you can't. she wanted to sit here for it and call her. I'm like, yeah, you'll make noise. You can't. So, <laughs> she wants to put the gushers on your desk right next to your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I think it just happens. I can never do a live show. It just <laughs> wouldn't be you, possible. I see you put down a few gushers. They looked really good, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was worth it. I just ate two of them. It was worth it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Like I bought the big bag ones. They have like twice as much as the regular ones. Like she can't eat all this. I better eat a couple of them. Right. I, like, <laughs> win, I, can, win. Throw, I can throw it away. It doesn't matter. You need to eat every single thing in front of you. Scarcity <laughs> mindset that I grew up with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what were we saying? So I was talking about uh, how PTSD is a very real thing. And um, after my car accident, I, I was, you know, claustrophobic for a while. Ceiling fans would bug me. Um, because I'm tall and it was like close to me double yellow lines. I remember getting pulled over because I would, I would be too far away from mm -hmm. um, this. I would be too close to the side of the road because I got in a head on collision. And so anyways, we, we talk a lot about PTSD and that's very real. And I totally understand that, but we don't talk enough in my opinion about post-traumatic growth. Mm, which that's a term is I've never you, heard before. It's, it's like the Phoenix from the ashes thing. Like the old you, when you burn down, dies in a sense spiritually and the new you can now rise and again that's sort of metaphorical and woo woo but it's a very real thing when you come close to death and so my question becomes why wait so this is a journaling habit that i do based on the top five regrets of the dying and the number one regret is i wish i lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me i was fortunate enough to have ronnie Ware on the show and i got to ask her about why her work mattered so much to her because it changed my life and that's the one thing that I would extend to your listeners is like, I check in with a journaling habit every day. No, no, no BS. One through five of all regrets. I rate myself from zero to 10 on each of them. And then I figure out one thing I can do to be more effective. So number one, I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Okay. I have to go into my consciousness and look into my day and say, how many of my decisions were my own? How many of my decisions were based on my core values, my goals, what I believe in versus pleasing others or solicitations on my time and attention? Hello. Yeah, my daughter just walked in. We'll, we'll let her be a part of this. We love her, huh? Of course. Yeah, this is Eva. This is my daughter, Eva. She's five Hi, years Eva. old. Hi, Eva. She likes fruit gushers, huh? <laughs> Those gushers are good. She can't hear it. I have headphones on, so oh, okay. even she'll be able to hear it. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, good. Yeah, this is this is my why, right here. Yes, these kids are my why. Exactly. This is my this is where my power comes from, and yep. uh, I forget you're talking about post traumatic growth. Um, 
Okay, you're gonna go watch your show. All right, love ya. <laughs> we'll see what my producer does with this editing it out. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, am and leave it in, okay? <laughs> but uh, so I, I don't, I don't, can't say that like, I have a, a traumatic event that um that would be considered PTSD or anything like that. Um, but what I have a series, I have a, have is a series of small events that were. Uh, the words I guess you call them traumatic because when I le reflect back on them um, they're really difficult but I let those 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 um those events I, I was fortunate enough to be able to say that um, I let them have more control over me than I would like right um as I look back on those things, those situations, they really were opportunities to grow. Right. And I, and I didn't take them as opportunities. I took those events that happened in my life and I, and I, instead I, I, I took a victim mentality right. where, where I didn't have to be accountable because it was difficult and it required me to feel pain and guilt and remorse. And I didn't know how to be accountable. I was never taught how to be accountable for all of this stuff. Most people aren't taught how to do that. I know. And that that's, and so it ended up, and I look back on all of this and I look back on, on my recovery. I've really been given a gift, a gift to come to know who I am and what I stand for and what I believe in and what's important to me, where my values are. And I've been given the gift of being able to help other people now. Right. More and than you ever could have without all that. Absolutely. It presented opportunities to me I would never have in my life. And it's, it's, it's something that I'm grateful for that I went through. Right. Same. I don't ever want to do it again. I, that, that, <laughs> ever. Right. right. It, 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 I was Same. in hell. I, I, it was a personal hell for me. It was hell. Right. right. And that's this, what this show is. I can tell you I have been through hell. My hell. I know what that's like. Everyone's hell looks a little bit different. Hell on earth, right? right? But the path out of it, the way you get out of it, is pretty much the same for everyone. Right. You have to come to know who you are and love you yourself for who you are, the dark and the light. Everything about you, just accept it. That that's, it is what it is. And when you can accept that, that's when you start walking out. And I look back on it. Yeah, it was hell. And, and, but I'm willing to go back into it to help other people. Mm. I'm willing to go back and look at those things because I, I don't ever want someone to feel that the way feel the same way that I did that you're worthless. You are the sum of all of your fears because the reality is you're not the sum of your life events, which you are is the product of how they affected you. And you can change even later in life how they affected you. Right. Difference between disempowering and empowering. And here's the thing. A lot of people in the world right now are having trouble with porn addiction. Mm -hmm. That is a very, very big and growing challenge. So I, I mean, my mission is to believe in people and help them believe in their own brighter future. You've got something here. Well, thank you. That's really, really important. Um, and I, I think it took tremendous courage to say what you just said. And I'm sure that's not the first time you've shared it publicly, but if it was, oh my goodness. Um, and I had the emotions, shared on this podcast. That was the first? Um, I, 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 I recorded an interview today and I was debating on whether or not I was going to leave that out. But um, wow. if, because we talked about it in that interview. And the guest that I spoke with what he shared with me, that's not a part of the, the episode. Um, it gave me courage that it doesn't matter what other people think of me. Like I've known this, but this is the one thing that's been holding me back, being willing to talk about it and be open about it. Right. And because the truth is it doesn't matter. People assume that it's something that it's not. That if they don't value what I'm doing, they think that it's, it just doesn't matter. What matters is 
it's my goal to help other people get out of hell. Right. Get out of your hell. And I can't do that as effectively if I don't open up and share everything about me. Right. Not the details of things, but the things that I, the detail, the, the specifics of my struggle. Right. And that, that's part of me. That's, that's a, it's the product of who I am is I've overcome this. I know how. Right. And, and if I don't acknowledge that, I'm not valuing my integrity. Right. Remember, the, one of the top regrets, I wish I had the courage to express my true feelings. That is a mm-hmm. big one. And I, I journal about that too, zero to 10. How much did I, uh, I was in the parking lot at the gym last week and I wanted to tell my girlfriend how much I love her. And I was scared to say, because we're only five months in. And I got to screenshot it the journal entry later that night, I screenshotted, I gave myself a six out of 10. And I said, I was in the parking lot this morning with Emilia and I wanted to tell her how much I love her. And I didn't because I was afraid and I screenshotted it and I sent it to her. So if you want to check in on whether or not you're living in integrity with yourself, I recommend journaling because it's going to force you to stay accountable. It's going to force you to reflect and go, Mm -hmm. did I fight for what I believe in? Did I love openly and fiercely? Because at the end of the day, you're not going to regret expressing that you love someone you're not going to regret what you've tried and failed you're going to regret what you never tried or never expressed Mm -hmm. and that's this has been really powerful man i really appreciate you sharing that and oh yeah i want to put wind into your sails with that because i think that so many people are living what sigmund freud calls quiet desperation and they're so afraid to express the truth of like me with the alcohol thing same deal like the more I hid from it, the more power it had over me. But now I'm empowered because I shared my struggle too. And it has less and less power over you every time. It's, it's, hard. it's hard to share, but you're going to realize that the more and more you share it, the less and less you're hiding it, and the more and more open and powerful you're going to be. It's a it's beautiful thing. And when you see it helping other people, oh, my God, that's really when you start to like – Oh my, you know, light up with, with, um, gratitude for even the, even the dark. Yeah. It, it, thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. Um, yeah. What I've learned is there are more people in the dark than you're aware of and what they're, pre- they just pretending that they have light. Mm-hmm. And I did that for years, a Same. lifetime, 17 years. I acted like everything was fine. And because I, I could not accept who I was, I didn't know how. And I felt that if people saw me as an addict, someone who did not have control over their impulses, that they would not value me. And that is why my greatest fear is that I will not be valued. And the truth is the more I share in appropriate settings, um, the more people will value me and have valued me. And right. I just, I see this because if someone's listening to this, you're not alone. Right. And I encourage you to share your struggle. Even do it anonymously. Send me an email. In fact, I would invite anyone who's listening to this, who's struggling with an addiction or depression or something they feel that they can't talk to other people. And if this show has been a benefit to you, send me an email. It's metalmentality at gmail.com for the time being. That's our email. Send me that email. And if you want, we will address what you're going through on the show. Anonymously. But you know, you're right. anonymously. It'll all be anonymous. You don't even right. have to send me your name. Create a fake email account if you want. <laughs> let me know. Let it, let Alan know too. I'm sure Alan, well, you'd probably love to hear this one. You'd love to hear some from someone. That of course. Absolutely. Help them. Yeah. See, you know, that's the thing. Sharing your there, story is going to empower you so much. There yeah. are, there are more people willing to help than to make fun of you. Of course. Or to devalue you. The people making fun are just louder. It's, it's, yeah. and, and they're yeah. doing it to protect themselves because they don't want to admit the things that they're struggling with. Exactly. Exactly. And, and nobody is alone in their suffering. Right. And that's, that's, I highly recommend getting help. You got help. I got help. 
coaches, mentors. It's the only way you're going to get better. It's the only way you're going to get better. You cannot overcome this alone. You cannot overcome what you're hiding from. No, you cannot. And it, the, it's going to suck even worse <laughs> than it already does. Right? But I say it because it always gets harder before it gets better. Right. So if, you're, if it starts getting harder, that means you're doing the right thing. Right. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Go further. And you, when you get to that point where you can say, um, that does not define me anymore. That is not me. That, man, I don't even know how to explain the relief that's going to come to you in that moment. Yeah. And eventually when you get to the point where you use it to help other people, that's the real magic you're, right you're, there. You're actually going to be grateful that it happened. That's some Harry One Potter. One day you'll actually be. Right. <laughs> yeah, That's Harry exactly. Potter right there. Right? You're like, how did that happen? <laughs> That's Harry Potter magic right there. When you take your pain and your weaknesses and your right. struggles, your suffering, and you use that to help other people, the what you learn from that, you'll Harry Potter is it. real, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> your purpose comes from your pain. Mm. Your purpose comes from your pain. So what? It, emotion moves mountains, man. Look at when you told that story, you immediately started to tear up. That is what will move you into action. That is what, like emotion, like what gets you emotional? Like I encourage all your listeners, if they want to find their purpose and their mission, their passion, ask yourself, okay, what gets me really emotional? What can't I talk about without crying? That's where your power is. That's where your power is. Yeah. What also frustrates you? What pisses you off? So for me, it's wasted potential. When I see wasted potential in myself or other people, it bothers me. It always has. Here's another interesting thing. Have you ever heard someone say, ah, oh, I just hate people? Mm -hmm. I never liked that. I grew up, sometimes people around me would say that, like, ah, oh, I hate people. Like, I just want to be alone. I hate people. I love animals. I hate people. And I never, it always bothered me because I love people and mm -hmm. I, I believe in people and I believe in myself. And so when I wasn't maximizing my own potential, when I was letting my vices get the best of me, that's when I was, that was my darkest time. And so now I want to inject belief into other people that they can do it. And that's what I do on a daily basis. And it's like, if I didn't go through all that adversity and climb out of it, um, there's this great quote that I live by. Adversity is actually your advantage because it's the emotional training ground to develop the emotional muscle to go and do extraordinary things that ordinary people can't do. So like, if you can grow from your adversity, like how do you lift your, how do you grow your muscles? You put it under incredible you tear them apart. Strain. Right. Exactly. You tear them. Mm -hmm. Incredible stress and strain, incredible yeah. stress and strain repeatedly, and then they grow back stronger. And that's what your emotional resilience is. That's what grit is. It's consistently overcoming challenges and now using that to serve the world. And that's, that's what's going to matter in the long run. So, Yeah, if, I, I really like what you're saying. If you, if you look at people who are highly successful, how many times did they fail before they got to that point? Oh, my God. No, I often say no one will outfail me. Failures everything. So thousands of times. Like they always fail long before they succeed. Every single time I go to the gym, I'm looking for failure. Mm -hmm. I want to hit failure. That's mm -hmm. how I grow, come back and grow stronger. Imagine, you know, I always do the two people thing. One person goes to the gym and benches 135 every single day and gets to feel good about themselves. One person goes from 135 to 155 to 185 to 225 and is failing along the way. Gets injured occasionally, like really pushing their limits. Mm -hmm. Which one is stronger in the long run? The one who just always wanted to feel good about doing lightweight mm. or right. So the same goes for your emotions. I think physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, all, all four facets of the human condition, you have to develop them through challenge and adversity. And Instead of having life come get you and challenge you, try to proactively, in an effort to serve others, seek challenge. Now, if you're, um, there are the, the learning zones, and I'll be quick about this because I actually do have a hard stop soon. But um, picture a target, okay? There's three bubbles. The outer bubble is the anxiety zone. The inner bubble is the learning zone. And then the center bubble is the comfort zone. If you're in the comfort zone, seek challenge. Mm -hmm. 
so that you get in the learning zone. If you're in the anxiety zone and you're in way over your head, seek self-care. You want to stay in the learning zone. Some mm -hmm. of us are way too comfortable. We need some adversity. We need mm -hmm. some challenge, you know? Some of we need us some discomfort. Way, right. <laughs> and other people are in the anxiety zone and, and really struggling. They need to find self-care and like really take care of themselves, whether that be physical, mental, mm -hmm. emotional, or spiritual. Mm -hmm. So the key is to stay in the learning zone. So again, when you're in the comfort zone, seek challenge. When you're in the anxiety zone, seek comfort. <clears throat> yeah. And so you're talking about those, those, those realms that we exist in the spiritual, mental, emotional, social. Um, I've, 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 how I got to where I'm at now, how I overcame addiction was by addressing those five areas. Mm. And every time we, every day I would check in on it. What have I done for myself emotionally today? What have I done for myself mentally to grow? What have I done socially? What have I done spiritually? And I can't remember the fifth one. Physical. Physical. What have I done? Exercise. Yeah. To, to exercise today, my body. Right. Right. And right. if I hadn't done all those five things, something deliberately, intentionally say, okay, today I'm going to dress mentally this way. It's I'm going to dress physically. That I would disconnect from my emotions. And that set me up for failure for relapse. Mm. And that's how you stay consistent. That's how you you wait patiently is by that's doing those things. You, you do those things. Yes, that's what forges your metal. And when your metal is forged, you can then master what you're struggling with. Mm. Your pain is no longer a master. You are no right. longer a slave to it. You right. get to choose to stay in that position. Absolutely. I so said, before we go, I, I want to ask you one final question. Yeah. If you were to die when you got off of this, this interview, talking like five minutes from now, you die. And the last thing you said on this show were your final words. What would you say? Powerful question. I would say the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is check in every single day with how courageously you're fighting for what you believe in and how openly and fiercely are you loving. Awesome. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, man. Absolutely. I think that that is going to help a lot of people. That's a powerful question. Well, Alan, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been awesome getting to know you. And have this conversation. It's been really um, enlightening for me to get to talk about old things openly that I don't usually talk about. Oh, you are so very welcome. That took courage. I'm so proud of you for that. And uh, as a fellow podcaster, I want you to know if you ever need anything, please reach out. Hey guys, be sure to follow the Metal Mentality Podcast on social media. And as always, if you find value in the show, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. But more importantly, Share this podcast with someone you know who would benefit from the messages from the guests on each episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Metal Mentality.